Seek would like to start this episode by acknowledging Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and their rich culture, and pay respect to their elders past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Seek recorded this episode from Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung Country. Talent acquisition and recruitment specialists are currently facing the most significant candidate shortage of their career. So how can brands attract talent when candidates are hesitant to move? You're just going to have to be so much more precise in terms of what you are offering in the market. And the battleground, yes, it will be around money, but for most employees, it's not going to be about the money. In this episode, we speak to Aaron McEwen, Vice President, Research and Advisory at Gartner and an expert in workforce trends and forecasting. Aaron offers insight into how businesses can overcome the current challenges and what they can do to best prepare themselves for the sourcing market to come. He also gives us a fascinating view on what employee value propositions could look like in the next five years. But if we think about the past decade, Aaron, what are some of the key ways resourcing has changed and why have they changed? My wife's a recruiter and she talks about it as being um, champagne and razor blades. <laughs> and I think that's just a wonderful description of recruiting. You know, there are, there are times when it's just the best place to be because, you know, like there's lots of opportunity, there's lots of talent, they're easy to place. And then there are other times, a little bit like what we're going through right now, where it's incredibly difficult. You know, yeah. people are hard to find. Uh, their expectations are changing rapidly. That element hasn't changed at all. <laughs> Probably yeah. never will change. But I do think what has changed is that the roles, our jobs themselves, are changing more rapidly. The need for recruiters to be much better technically in, in terms of understanding the technical components of jobs, particularly at that digital side, you know, the average job changes by about 30% in the last five years. Elements of those jobs are disappearing, new components are coming on board, and so it is challenging for recruiters to stay up to date with exactly what's happening in the industries that they're supporting. So that's one of the big changes. I I think the other big change is around the technology for uh, recruiters. It's also the way that recruiting is done is obviously changing so rapidly because of the introduction of technology that allows us to automate significant components of what used to be done. So I think that's changing very rapidly. But what's not changing are the human components of recruiting. When you hire somebody, it's still about trust. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, you're trusting that you're bringing somebody on into your organization that's going to help you achieve all of the things that your organization has to achieve. And to do that within your particular culture and values and set of expectations around behavior. So it's that element of trust, which I don't think is changing and it's certainly not going anywhere. Yeah. But what tactics have, have lasted? And you mentioned trust and relationship, but keen for you to expand on those and, and, and why they've lasted. Well, I think, yeah, trust and relationship lasts because taking a risk on hiring somebody is still a really big risk. You know, we yeah. just know how much is involved if we get that wrong. I think what's gotten better is that we've developed and deployed technology that allows us to do, you know, some of the screening and those kind of components, even the video interviewing, et cetera, that allows you to get a more trustful 
shortlist. Yeah. But once you've got the shortlist, <laughs> it, it's still so much trust and relationship involved there. Yeah. So I think I, I think that's the component which is probably will last almost forever. I don't know when we'll ever feel comfortable that a robot has made precisely the right decision. Yes. So if we understand and accept that um, there are certain gains there with technology helping with things like um, shortlisting, but there's certainly others, then to allow recruiters to actually spend time doing the things that really matter, what should they be focusing on then that you think have seen the most effective results? Where should they be really investing their time? Yeah, you're probably not going to like this answer. I actually think it's sourcing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, and ironically, sourcing is kind of, to a degree, it's being automated. To a higher degree, it's kind of being outsourced, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yep. When we look at the really big shifts from future of work uh, that are coming down the pipeline, there's a couple that really stand out to me that are going to have broad and very long-lasting impacts on recruiting. One of those is that with the increase in hybrid and remote work, mm. you can literally employ somebody from anywhere. Yeah. So if I put, you know, taxation issues right to work, put that legislation aside for a moment and just go, if there were no restrictions, you could literally hire somebody from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So when it's that big, it's like your industry knowledge or your knowledge of a local market really doesn't matter that much anymore. What matters is, how can you find where the people are that can do the work that you've got to offer? You know, and there's two components to that is one, it could be that your next artificial intelligence engineer is a 16-year-old kid in Ethiopia, you know, building a, the next Uber in their you know, basement. And the other thing is that because there's such a shortage for that type of capability, you have to think well beyond the the kind of details of the job description. Yeah, so looking okay. at what we call adjacencies. There's a lot of um, automation specialists out there that aren't IT graduates. They're people yeah. without degrees that have cut yeah. their teeth on just building the stuff themselves. And they might not fit the typical mould of the corporate yeah, entity. Okay. And also they might have a bunch of skill sets which aren't immediately, obviously, are the right ones. Um, So, for example, you know, BHP has done a great job of building these automation centres in in, um, central Queensland and those centres are now full of not your typical IT talent but rather ex-medical imaging specialists that have been retrained to become automation specialists, right? Wow, okay. And guess what? It turns out that a lot of those um, medical imaging specialists were women. Okay. And so BHP have solved not just a talent problem by looking at adjacencies, but have also solved a a gender balance issue that was really difficult for them to solve. Yeah. How else has the pandemic, or I shouldn't shouldn't (laughs) use past tense, how is the pandemic, you know, really impacting talent pipelining and resourcing? Pandemics have this uncanny ability to change society. The first thing that I think it has accelerated, not necessarily changed, but accelerated a change that was well underway, is a rewriting of the psychological contract between employees and employers. So we call it the employment deal, right? Mm -hmm. And so to cut a long story short, people have just spent the last 12 to 18 months deeply reflecting on what is important to them reflecting on how their organisation has treated them during one of the most difficult personal and professional periods of their lives. And so they, you know, money might not cut it anymore. 
people yeah. are looking for a more human-centric employment deal where they yeah. can you know, get the flexibility that they need, where they can focus on the things that they care about. Apparently, guitars went up by 15% in terms of sales of guitars during the pandemic. You know, okay. so people were like they were picking up hobbies that they yeah. had given up on. So I think what that means is that work doesn't quite hold the primary position in yeah. people's lives that it used to. And what that will mean is that people will think differently about what they're looking for mm. in their work. And so those organisations that get that and really understand, well, what is it that they can offer in terms of what we would call a human-centric model of work? One thing that is driving a lot of this, of course, is the candidate shortage in Australia at the moment. It's yeah. significant and certainly from a VAR viewpoint, it's probably the most profound that we've seen it. How can HR leaders, talent acquisition leaders best approach this problem, this phase of the marketplace? <laughs> well, they've got to completely rethink what they're offering. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it probably starts with your EVP. Now, from there, you're going to have to look at your employment brand, how you go to market and all of those things. So the implications here are that, you know, let's say we just put it down to a job ad. You're just going to have to be so much more precise in terms of what you are offering in the market. And the battleground, yes, it will be around money in certain professions and certain industries. But for most employees, it's not going to be about the money. It's going to be about flexibility. Yeah. It's going to be about the, you know, how they're treated as an employee. It's going to be about the social reputation of the organisation. So, you know, which movements do I care yeah. about? This is, you know, a lot of people now, particularly younger people, what we're seeing, they're certainly moving away from, from corporate-type jobs into, yep. you know, agency and advocacy. So the brand, the actual brand of the organisation must be so important to candidates now. I think it is, but I'm just going to put a caveat on this. Yep. You know, you think about something like Netflix, Mm -hmm. It's one of the most beloved brands in the world now, right? Incredibly popular. And yet no one's walking around with a Netflix T-shirt or a yeah. coffee mug, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the point I'd make about this is that what Netflix has done incredibly well is it delivers a highly personalised experience. But other companies could do that. And if another one comes along, most people will just go, well, look, if it gives me better programs and it's a, a more convenient mm. experience, they wouldn't think twice about leaving and taking on another you know, streaming platform, for example. Mm. I think this is the future that organisations are facing. So the glass door of the future won't be a bunch of reviews that are posted online. Mm. It'll be aggregated smartwatch data. Yeah, okay. So, in other words, you know, can I have a list of the companies that have the lowest resting heart rate, oh, employees wow. that get the most amount of sleep, you know, like the happiest employees? And, and by the way, uh, factor out any companies that have a carbon footprint above X or if they use, you know, slave labour in their supply chain or they donate to these political parties. Yeah, in the future, when employees are searching for a job, they're going to be searching for a company that allows them to be themselves yes, and yeah. that gives them what they need to live their life. And, and that's a huge change in the way that we think about candidates. 
So the days, I guess, of the corporate PR exercise, the corporate spin, there are so many different ways now for candidates to actually see through that and, and find their own information out there. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen in the last five years the growth of HR as PR. Like yeah. it's a thing now. You'll see companies, and I won't mention them by name, but some of them are incredibly good at this where, you know, every second day on social media, you'll see an article about how they treat their employees. Yeah. You know, they've extended this benefit or they're now offering some of the coolest stuff I've seen is, um, you know, virtual daycare. There's a particular media company and they wouldn't mind me mentioning this, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but yeah. one of the things that they're doing in lockdown, they're getting their celebrities to um, jump on a Zoom call and entertain the children of their employees. So this is not available to the public. This is just for their employees. That's the kind of lens that you want to start looking at this through because what happens is you do something like that and all of a sudden I'm going to be, you know, humble bragging, saying, hey, my kids just spent the afternoon with celebrity of your choice, right? Yeah. And that's going to cut through. And that's the sort of thing that attracts candidates to you, even in the most challenging of markets, because it's cutting through to what employees are looking for. If you really want to attract talent, that's the way you have to think about it, is how do I get this thing to go viral? And what we're seeing is that a lot of the things that go viral at the moment are about either how well an employer has treated their employees from that human-centric perspective yeah. or the flip side, how badly they've done it. So there was always the old adage, Aaron, that, that you know bad news travels faster than good news, but that level of advocacy, are you starting to see that increase now? Yeah, I mean, it's been a thing for a while and, and smart companies have been, you know, taking advantage of those types of strategies. In the context of the worst pandemic in living memory, with all of the economic fallout and all of the impact on people and their health and their well-being, it is this sense of how am I treated? You know, am I seen as a human being and a vulnerable human being? So I think what we're starting to see is that it's those organisations that that have picked up that that is the thread. That's the zeitgeist of the day. This is almost about well-being and those organisations that help their employees to flourish are the ones that will not only retain them but be in a position to attract more. There are particular ways of marketing today that don't look like the traditional channels of yesterday. Seek data also showed, you know, 31% of Australian workers, they were agreeing they were going to leave their job, though they stayed because of COVID. Do you think we're about to see a period of significant attrition as candidate confidence rises? Um, Do you think we're going to see a bit more movement? Yeah. So, for example, we're already seeing it in the United States. So, just this quarter, job seeking activity rose by about 3.9%. In Australia, it was about 1%. So we're just a little bit behind. And I think um, in the US, it's being called the great resignation. That's how big it is. Okay. So people are literally, uh, we we just did a survey of our clients um, globally. So this was around 100. It was like a snapshot survey. And it was 83% of heads of HR globally are seeing the early signs of significant attrition. When we asked them how, you know, are you concerned about it, it was 90% of clients were concerned about it with 50% roughly significantly concerned. Wow. So it's coming. I think what's happened in Australia, we've, we've just gone into lockdowns. Yes. So that's put a pause on it. 
But we, you know, prior to those lockdowns, we were about to hit the same wave that the US is experiencing now. Imagine employees in December mm. coming out of four or five months of homeschooling on top of their already exhausted, stressed state, and then being faced with maybe not the promotion that they were hoping for or the pay mm -hmm. increase. If we don't get this stuff sorted, I would not want to be a company facing March yeah. looking at trying to retain your best people. You know, my sense is that we're going to see a huge amount of attrition when we get towards the end of the year, beginning of next year. That's when people will start, you know, like they'll make New Year's Eve resolutions and yeah. a lot of that will be I need a new career or a new job. <laughs> um, it will come back to being, a you know, an employer's market yeah. eventually. But I think we are seeing the early signs of, of some much longer trends. If we look at today's labour market, what trends do you think may well continue into the next decade? Also, what are likely to subside, do you think? We'll get through the acute phase. If I can kind of paint a picture, this is where we're at, is, is we've got like almost every CEO in the country was expecting that this time is when they push the button on growth, right? So that's what they yeah. were gearing up for. It's yeah. like, well, you know, we'll just get through 2020, but by, you know, second half of 2021, we can get back to, you know, double-digit growth. Now, they know that that double-digit growth is going to come from their talent, Mm -hmm. So they're aware of that, and that's coming through in the surveys that we're doing. But what they don't realise is that they've got this exhausted workforce that are really rethinking about what they yeah. want. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. you know, how do you grow off the back of that? Um, yeah. It's going to be incredibly difficult. So I think we will see the impact of this moment rippling through the next five to ten years. Okay. Where it, where it will significantly change the power balance where the expectations of employees have changed at really fundamental levels, particularly around that employee value proposition and what they care about. Yeah. So that'll take a long time for organisations to adjust to that. If we look at recruitment again, and, and we've spoken about yeah. the technological advancement and this fantastic, I think, renewal back on personal connections, strength of face-to-face -face relationships, what will the balance look like between technology and human in the future? What will good yeah. recruiters be doing and how will they be using two? Because there's still huge gains in technology, but we yeah. know that there's going to be huge gains in how they actually manage those relationships as well. Computers will chip away at that kind of more repeatable, yeah. simpler task. So, you know, a lot of sourcing will continue to be automated. A lot of the screening will continue to be automated. We'll get better and better at matching not just candidate skill sets to company needs, but also things like values and yeah. personality. That'll continue to get, you know, better and better over time. But I think what will remain is those final steps in the selection process where human beings are meeting human beings. Yeah. Like I said, it goes back to that trust. Somebody looks great on paper. They look good through the automated interview process. You probably is still that final moment where it's like, all right, we want to meet. If I think about how that will be reflected in the jobs of recruiters, a lot of the sales, you know, the selling part of recruiting is still going to be face-to-face. -face. You know, yes. sure, the prospecting will be automated and some of the, you know, yeah. God forbid, you know, robocalls will happen yeah. to try and set up appointments. 
but it's it's kind of like that that final moment of two human beings sitting down and working out whether they want to work together. That's mm. probably not going away. What about the importance for recruiters to actually stay in contact with their talent once they've placed them? Because of the changes that people are seeing, it feels to me it's never been more important to keep in touch with them and because their next move yeah. could be quite varied. Well, we've always known this, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we've always known that, you know, the, the value of a good rec- recruiter is the quality of the candidates that they've got at their disposal. That's never changed. It's always been the case. I think it always will be. So, mm. yeah, it is those recruiters who foster and develop relationships with their candidates that follow them through their careers. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny. A, a number of years ago, I made a prediction that the recruiters of the future would look more like a sports agent or, or an mm. actor's agent. I think that model is probably just on the cusp of maybe starting to come through. Yeah. Where you'll have certain recruiters that specialise in just managing the careers of a portfolio of candidates that um, they can make money off. Yeah, sure. Yeah, by placing them in the right gigs. And by that, that's a very important point. It's not jobs. It's yeah. going to be gigs. Yeah. And really understanding what is deeply personal and what's important to your candidates and marrying that with the yeah. right gig. The right gig. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And so you're, yeah. you're a talent agent. Yeah. In the sense that you are, you know, helping your talent find the best opportunities. So, Aaron, how should organisations be looking at their own individual people and actually formulating a talent pipeline of the people they've already got there? Yeah, well, this is like the biggest untapped opportunity for organisations. You know, so for all the recruiters, like, close your ears, but like, you know, typically organisations just go straight to market. To look for people. So they overweight their buy strategy. And what I often talk about is that, you know, you've got this build strategy, which is also big with companies, like how do you build the capability internally that you need? But that approach is often long and difficult. Mm. But you've got this other approach, which is bridging. You know, how do you take people in your organization and not totally retrain them, but just like reskill them a little bit so that they can shift across yeah. into other things. You know, think about your employees as not just stuck in this one FTE. So if you've got an, a, a really exciting internal gig marketplace, that gives your employees what they want, which is stretch the opportunity to develop. It gives them variety. It gives them agency. It gives all of the things that they're looking for. And you might find half of the solutions to your talent problems are already in your organisation. You've been really generous with your time and it's been a fascinating chat. We could we could go for a lot longer, but we'd love to finish with a little bit of advice for our listeners. They're really, really varied, some corporate, some SMEs. Yep. What kind of initiatives, actions or strategies would you suggest Australian businesses start to implement now to best prepare for the future labour market? What would you be focusing yeah. on? Like the first thing is to review your employee value proposition. Mm-hmm. You know, be absolutely clear that you know, what we're talking about here is what we call a human deal or a human-centric deal, really understanding what employees care about and recognising that we can't see them as workers. We have to see them as people, human beings. So that's the first thing. If you get that right, you can then build the right advertising campaigns and the right branding strategies, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, that's kind of fundamental. The next thing is you're going to have to really invest in your brand, in your employment brand. 
like I said, eventually it's going to go away. But I think for the next five years, there is going to be a, a battle for good talent. And so you're going to have to have a brand that, you know, whether that comes through HR as PR or it comes through traditional channels or it comes through social media, you've got to work out what's going to be right for you from that brand strategy. But here's the most important piece of information, I think. You have to rethink what an employee is. You know, it's not just a FTE. It's it's not a full-time role. You know, there are increasingly employees out or, or let's call them people out there that are like, you know what, I'd love to work doing coding for two days a week and then building houses for another couple of days a week and then working on my startup in my mum's basement the other days a week. So it's that recognition that the future of work is not going to be tied to these full-time jobs. And if you're trying to compete with really prominent employment brands for this scarce talent, you've got to find what you can offer that's unique. So let's say, for example, you're a bank and you're trying to compete with the big tech giants for digital talent. Well, you probably can't compete with all of the bells and whistles, right, that they've got. But what you can do is offer home loans. (laughs) You can offer a line of credit. And you can say, why don't you keep working on your startup but come and give us a few hours of your time? And what we can give you is some stability and a home loan but you can get on with doing what you care about. And this comes from one of my favourite stories, which is think uh, the digital talent that builds the next generation digital advertising campaigns for YouTube. Mm -hmm. So if there was a competitive talent group in the world, like that's it. It's like at the peak of competition for talent, right? Yeah. And uh, there's an independent digital marketing agency who was sharing with me that their two most valuable employees are a husband and wife team that live in the Amazon jungle. They run an orphanage and that's where they choose to live and do their work. And so to me, that's the epitome of where this is all headed is, you know, your best talent probably don't want the same kind of traditional relationship with you as an employer that they used to have. Yeah. If you can think more broadly, that gives you a much bigger talent pool to play with. Been a fascinating chat, uh, Aaron McHugh. Thanks so much for joining us on Talent Talks today. No worries. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us for this remote episode. For more ideas and discussions on the world of work and all things recruitment and HR, stay tuned for upcoming episodes of Seek Talent Talks.